Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Today we're going to discuss the upcoming Ministerial Conference on Freedom of Religion or Belief hosted by the British government in London next month uh, from July 5th to 6th. The conference will bring together government, civil society, faith and belief groups to agree on action to prevent freedom of religion or belief violations and abuses and offer ways to protect and promote freedom of religion or belief around the world. To provide insight for us today, we're very fortunate to have with it, with us the British Prime Minister's Special Envoy for Freedom of Religion or Belief, Fiona Bruce, who assumed this position in December 2020. She's a sitting member of Parliament and Vice Chair of the United Kingdom's All-Party Parliamentary Group for Freedom of Religion or Belief, and she also serves as the current Chair of the International Religious Freedom or Belief Alliance, known as IRFBA. Fiona Bruce, thank you for joining us today, and welcome to You Serve Spotlight. Well, thank you, Dwight, and it's wonderful to be with you and the listeners on USERP Spotlight today. Wonderful. Let me start by asking you uh, to share with our audience, if you could, more about your role as Special Envoy for Freedom of Religion or Belief, and what are some of the priorities of the British government in promoting uh, freedom of religion or belief around the world, and how does the ministerial fit into your work? Well, thank you. Great question. My role as the the Prime Minister Special Envoy is to speak out both in uh, the UK and internationally on freedom of religion or belief and to to be uh, the the Prime Minister's spokesperson. And so uh, I have a role working with other countries who have similar appointed envoys or ambassadors. Uh, It's my privilege to work with, for example, Rashad Hussain, your own ambassador for religious freedom. And uh, you're right, yes, I, I chair the International Religious Freedom or Belief Alliance of 36 countries and so work very closely with them in my role as the Prime Minister's envoy. I also work with civil society organisations here in the UK. We've developed over the last year and a half uh, a really thriving roundtable with now almost 100 organisations involved and they're very much closely involved in planning this conference which we'll talk about shortly. Just to talk about the the British government's priorities, we have a a manifesto commitment from the 2019 general election uh, which says that we will seek to protect those persecuted for their faith and implement the Truro Review recommendations. Now that means that uh, the government has been committed on its election to to implementing some really detailed recommendations in a document called the Truro Review. This was a a document that our uh, former Foreign Secretary, uh, Jeremy Hunt, when he was the Foreign Secretary, asked the Bishop of Truro to look into persecution of Christians and to look at how our foreign office and the British government could better support them. And there are 22 very detailed recommendations, too detailed for me to go into uh, today for for your listeners, but uh, it's online. And some of the key recommendations uh, are that 
we want to ensure that freedom of religion or belief is central to our foreign officers operation and culture. We want to uh, become one of the global leaders in championing freedom of religion or belief, uh, including in, in our engagement across multilateral institutions, the, the Human Rights Council, Council of Europe, the G7 uh, and others. And um, we want to ensure that we help develop mechanisms uh, internationally which will support people who are oppressed because of their uh, freedom of religion or belief not being respected. So where there are women and girls who are oppressed, where there's people trafficking, where there are uh, early signs, for example, of, of uh, atrocities occurring, we want to be there to try and help stop them. We want to work with other governments to do that. We, another of our priorities is to ensure that our own diplomats right across the world have a better understanding of, uh, of different faiths, that they are more religiously literate so that they can themselves engage better with communities across the world. And there are many, many other recommendations in this Truro review. So that really has formed the foundation then of uh, looking at, at hosting this uh, international conference that we're going to talk about. Well, thank you for that. There's certainly a lot of similarities uh, for the uh, uh, the American approach to this as well. Uh, uh, many, many priorities that are uh, certainly in sync with the British government's. Let me uh, turn to this year's ministerial in London. Uh, this follows two uh, ministerials that were convened by the United States in 2018 and 2019, the first of their kind back then, and a virtual ministerial uh, when the pandemic started, uh, which which was hosted by Poland in 2020. Uh, can you tell us some of the key themes of this year's ministerial and give us a preview of how many governments you think will be attending, including at the minister level, as well as any other key features you'd like to highlight? Well, yes, thank you. Regarding attendees, uh, we've, we've got, um, we expect to have in the official ministerial uh, at least 500 delegates from many countries around the world. And we have around 30 minister level commitments as of today. I checked it before uh, coming on. And, but we have another 30 countries who are sending delegates, which aren't necessarily a, a minister level, but are still uh, official delegates from their governments. So we've a lot of countries, um, around 60 countries being to be represented at the, the official ministerial. And our, our themes, our three themes are um, prevention, protection and promotion. And over the two days, we've got oh, almost 20 sessions, different sessions uh, running. And I'll just give you a, a flavor of some of the, the subjects. We've got um, freedom of religion and belief and education. How can we get uh, this subject into education systems so that young people can understand what it's all about? And then we've, we've a separate session actually on um, and inspiring young people because we want to engage the next generation. We want to create what we're calling FORB ambassadors, young leaders who will spread the word about the importance of, of FORB uh, and the extent of the atrocities that need addressing right across the world, uh, just as young people have done for climate change. And so we've invited quite a lot of young people, deliberately invited a lot of young people to the conference. Then we've got uh, a session on FORB and Global Challenges, which I'll be chairing on the first morning after our Foreign Secretary, uh, Liz Trust, has made the keynote speech. And uh, that's looking, for example, of course, at 
where there are particular countries, Afghanistan or Ukraine, China, where today there are, are real fog concerns. What can we do about that? And how can we together better address the scale of global challenges uh, across the world? And then there's a, a session on early warning and atrocity prevention, looking at how uh, we can together, and of course, this is about countries learning from one another, and no one country has all the solutions, but in so many of these sessions, we're trying to learn best practice from one another. How can we discern early warning signs so that uh, where FORB and other human rights are going to be violated, we can tackle them. How can civil society be engaged in order to help with early intervention responses? Then we've got a, a whole session on uh, FORB and the digital world, this whole issue of digital persecution. I know that if you've, you've spoken with your former ambassador, Sam Brownbank, about the Earth Summit, this is a, a subject that he like uh, I am very concerned with in, in uh, the 21st century, how technology is being used to abuse people and what can we do to, to stop this happening, to stop the, the sophisticated systems that are being used uh, to, to violate people's freedom of religion or belief. Let me just uh, pick one other session. We're looking at FORB and the media. How can we get FORB? into mainstream media. Many of us are very concerned about it and uh, those of us who have a faith will often hear news of, of terrible atrocities, for example, unfortunately with all too regularity from Nigeria. But how do we get this into the mainstream media so that it really does start to capture government's attention? So, so many of these sessions and others um, we're really looking forward to and we have about 80 speakers altogether across the uh, across the two days. Lots of experts from, from government, from civil society, from faith groups and academics. So really exciting program. Yeah, indeed. Uh, a lot of pressing and uh, the, the kind of uh, vexing and complex challenges facing the four you know, global community, it sounds like will be discussed uh, at the ministerial, which is great. And, and clearly, it's not just government officials, you talked about 60 representatives from from governments, but there will also be, you know, uh, uh, representatives from a number of civil society groups, religious communities, you know, including those with no belief at all. What are what would you then say are some of your biggest uh, hopes for key outcomes from discussing a lot of these vexing and challenging issues? Well, one of the key outcomes I hope will be that, that governments will work more closely with civil society um, because we've so closely engaged them in this conference. I think that's something which hasn't happened enough, certainly in the UK, and it's something that needs to happen because so often it's, um, it's civil society groups who are going out into the countries that uh, where there are problems, they're bringing back the survivors' stories, they're bringing back the, the stories of, of atrocities, uh, they're doing this often at great risk to themselves and governments need to uh, have a real ear to listen out to civil society. So that's one of my aspirations. If I can just uh, I'll talk about one or two other aims that we have, but in addition to the official ministerial that I've talked about, um, which is uh, being held in a, uh, in a conference centre right in the centre of London next to Parliament, the Queen Elizabeth Conference Centre, we're actually hosting what we're calling a Forbes fringe. Now, it, it, the word fringe in the UK has a, a particular connotation. I'm not sure it's used in America, but it, it's about side events. We wanted to make sure that civil society had an opportunity to host 
side events alongside the official ministerial. I hoped there might be up to 100. Uh, I think there was some sharp intakes of breath when I suggested that, but we know how many groups are interested in this issue and concerned about it. Uh, I know you do, Dwight. Well, I'm delighted to say that we have more like 200 side events going on alongside the official UK government organised conference. And these are happening not just in central London, but in other parts of the country, uh, Manchester, Birmingham and elsewhere, uh, in the run up to the, the ministerial. And in fact, we've been so excited about the enthusiasm of, uh, of civil society and faith groups that we've given over two of the six floors of our conference centre, the Queen Elizabeth Conference Centre, to civil society. So they're going to have exhibitions, they're going to have their own areas to have uh, meetings and podcasts and uh, just really um, engage with the whole event in, in a way that will ensure that the importance of civil society is really seen. So what are some of the other aspirations I hope from the conference? Well, I hope that the alliance will grow. This alliance of, um, of 36 countries, um, only founded in uh, February 2020, so still a toddler, but it is growing. And I found that other countries are coming on board uh, and saying, we want to be a part of this, just because of the, the buzz that there is about this international ministerial, which is great. Because if we can have an alliance, which has what, 50 plus countries in the, the foreseeable future, that's a big voice. Our collective voice can be much louder than our individual countries' voices alone when we want to call out and challenge as abuses across the world. So let's hope the Alliance can grow. But at the same time, I'm also hoping that we will engage with, and I'm, I'm seeing this happen now, with countries that maybe wouldn't qualify to be a part of the Alliance because you have to sign up to uh, the principles on the, the the Alliance website, and that's on the, the state, US state uh, website, if people want to have a look. You have to sign up to those principles, but there are countries that are now approaching me and saying, actually, we'd like to know more about this, and we'd like to, we'd like some help. We're on a journey, and we'd like to move forward. And so I had a meeting last week with the ambassador to the UK from Uzbekistan. He wants to send some representatives. And tomorrow I have a meeting with the ambassador from Kazakhstan and the same thing. They want to send some representatives. I think this is really exciting um, because they're saying we want to learn, we want to hear. Uh, and then, as I've mentioned, one of the, the other outcomes that we really do want to see is to inspire the next generation, particularly those who are technologically savvy, um, so that we can put the word out about how important this is how huge this issue is globally, and uh, hopefully then we can see change. You know, these are certainly some very, uh, I think, uh, attainable, you know, outcomes as you're as referring to, and as you said, with the IRFA that you're chairing now, this is a great opportunity to potentially add some countries. I know it's almost doubled since uh, it, it started a little over two years yes. ago, so this, is a, yes. this could be great momentum. Let me just touch on another area, if you could, if you're able to share uh, some examples with us of some of the religious minority groups, um, you know, whose identity or existence or their freedom of religion or belief are currently under threat or, or they're particularly vulnerable, uh, from your perspective as the chair of IRFBA, and, and I know there'll be opportunities at the ministerial, but 
what are some of the key actions that have been taken so far to give a sense to our listeners that IRFA has taken? Because I know there have been some statements and that has increased in, in recent months. Uh, are there certain groups you've focused on and that will also be somewhat of a focus um, you know, at the ministerial? Absolutely, yes. So we've, we, we're, we're undertaking a series through the IRFA uh, at the moment, looking at different uh, faith groups affected um, by uh, violations of their freedom of religion or belief. So we started with the Jehovah's Witnesses in December and we, we highlighted where they are, are being abused, where they're pacifists, um, the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so that really is an issue. And for example, in Russia, they're a banned extremist organization. And so their members are, are being put in prison simply for being part of the Jehovah's Witnesses Church. They're, um, they're deemed to be uh, criminals. And uh, so we've, we've highlighted these cases. Uh, we highlighted it through a statement. And when we do these statements now, as of, uh, we, we don't just put a statement out. We work with the organization uh, representing the faith group, with, with the organization, hopefully globally, um, with regard to the Jehovah's Witnesses, it was extremely exciting because um, when we worked with them and they they magnified our, our our statement by promoting it around the world, the um, on the first week of the, our, the statement being issued uh, in support of Jehovah's Witnesses, there were two hundred and fourteen thousand page views of of the Erfast statement, which were viewed. Now, actually, in the same week there were only 116,000 page views for the, the StateGov website itself. So this was really interesting, how working with an organization internationally and working also through every country of ERFA to magnify our voice, we've made a difference. Now, you might say, well, what, what can we point to uh, that's made a change? But let me come on to an, another uh, statement that we, uh, we put out. Um, that was for the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. They were very, very encouraged across the world because they said that the statement that we put out really strengthened their arm to talk to individual governments about the rights that their members were being deprived. For example, the right to vote. And similarly, the Baha'is, uh, uh, we put out a statement in support of the Baha'is, and they too um, felt that our working with them across the, the, the world uh, strengthened their arm. They have problems, for example, uh, now with some of their students getting to university. And so having a, a global voice, which increasingly OFA has, is very helpful for groups like this when they don't feel they're alone. But let me give you just a final example of, um, of what the EFFA did, which was really very exciting. In the height of the Afghanistan conflict, when people were being airlifted, we uh, decided that we must highlight the fact that people's freedom of religion or belief is something which merited um, support in terms of um, those who are under threat uh, and every faith or belief bar, bar one supporting the Taliban. Uh, were and remain so in Afghanistan now, but we heard of some terrible atrocities like the Hazaras being thrown out of their homes, wandering the, the forests and many being found beheaded on the roadside. And 
working on our, our statement to highlight this issue of the, um, the need for people's freedom of religion or belief to be recognized and the threats to their lives to be recognized, we realized that one country had a plane that could actually fly out some people whose uh, fob was threatened and whose lives were at risk. They didn't have the visas, but another country did have the visas. Uh, and so getting together, two of the countries arranged for just under 200 people to be flown out of Afghanistan last autumn, whose lives were at threat because of their beliefs. And I'm very pleased to say you probably want to know which countries. I'm delighted one of them was the US who provided the plane and it was Brazil who provided the visas. So this is the kind of work which uh, it's wonderful to report uh, for doing. No, thank you for sharing all this. This, I mean, I can't tell you how important the work of ERPA is now with over 35 countries, you said 36. Yes. Making statements about some of these vulnerable groups like Jehovah's Witnesses, Baha'is, Ahmadiyya, you know, Hazara Shia working behind the scenes. Mm. Um, it, the governments take notice, certainly when mm. there's a coalition uh, on the same page about these issues. So thank you for all your work on on uh, on speaking out, uh, certainly. Uh, finally, I just want to to ask you if you could share with our listeners um what those out there could do to help promote earth as we call it international religious freedom as individuals civil society groups or you know as you're holding this as you're convening this ministerial and and many will attend but those who can't uh, are there other steps that people can pay, take or groups can take uh, to 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 try to make a difference well yes um as a committed christian myself i i i would ask people who feel that they, they, they're, they're inclined to do so, to pray. Uh, it does make a difference. I, I'll, I'll just mention uh, one of the Jehovah's Witnesses um, who we highlighted as if I had been imprisoned. She was uh, uh, 71 years old, in prison, Valentina Barishkova, imprisoned in Siberia for two years. Now, I will never know whether it, 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 our campaigning as if I made a difference, but, um, you know, it was very interesting that not long ago, she was surprisingly released from prison. So I, I fully believe prayer works. So I'd ask people to pray, pray for those who are affected, uh, like Valentina, pray for the work of um, civil society organisations and, and do support them financially. Or, uh, in the UK, for example, I work with Open Doors or Christian Solidarity Worldwide or um, Aid to the Church in Need. These are organizations that depend on financial support. If, if you're um, able to, please contact your elected representative. We in the UK have a, a cross-party group called the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Freedom of Religion or Belief. We have 160 members of the House of Commons and members of the House of Lords who are involved in that group. It's, um, it's the biggest cross-party group in the UK Parliament and I believe it's the the work of that group over the last 10 years and government taking notice of it which has resulted in our conference happening and so uh, I would ask that uh, anyone who's in touch with your uh, your elected representative whether local or national ask them what they can do to be involved in in shouting out about freedom of religion or belief it's made a difference in the UK and it's one of the good news stories that we are going to have at the conference where we've got a whole session on 
how can parliamentarians and elected representatives make a difference and uh, encourage their governments to do the same. So lots that people can do. Uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk to you today and for your interest in, uh, in this conference. It's a real privilege to be hosting it here in the UK. Well, thank you so much for providing such insight and information and some really good ideas about how people can contribute in different ways. We'll have to leave it right here. I want to thank Special Envoy Fiona Bruce for joining us today to talk about the ministerial coming up in just days on July 5th and 6th in London. To learn more about the ministerial, you can visit the United Kingdom's Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office website. As always, thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on Usurf Spotlight. To learn more about Usurf and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another Usurf Spotlight.